0: Introducing Daniel Rios, also known by his students as Mr. Rios, Rios, Jefecito or Rivers Man. Mr. Rios has been teaching for nine years and is currently out of the K 12 classroom and is now teaching adults with disabilities. But he primarily taught history and social studies at a charter organization for grades six through 12. He started in the community college system and attended San Joaquin Delta College. He then transferred to Sac State where he completed his undergraduate degree and credentials. He recently graduated from the University of the Pacific with a Master of Arts in Educational Entrepreneurship. He and his childhood best friend have also started a podcast of their own called Socially Challenged, where he and his friend debate over topics they are diametrically opposed on while still maintaining their lifelong friendship at the end of each heated episode. You can find their podcast on Spotify if you would like to learn more, but be advised that there is use of foul language. Visit our blog at www.educatorsnotrobots.com for links to Mr. Rios' podcast information. Thank you so much for joining us today at Educators Not Robots, where we humanize the educational experience. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you are using. Positive reviews help us reach a wider audience and share these incredible stories of everyday teachers. And now we introduce to you Mr. Rios. all right daniel rios we're recording now and um yeah so we're talking about podcasting because you also are now an educator podcaster oh yeah look at that i'm drinking water i haven't been drinking enough water oh (laughs) 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 they're cheers for people who don't see us and will not see us they're cheering each other with their liquor right now
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's friday you gotta get a drink in Friday friday night baby Yeah,
0: so so you're doing a podcast, we're doing it. So you asked how our podcast is going. It's been pretty good. Um, Our viewership is slowly going up. And I don't know, like, because you've started a podcast, like, you've probably done a little background research, but I read that it takes about four to five months to get a decent followership. So Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like we're kind of on that upswing. Like, every week we just get a couple more followers, according to the, you know, the little dashboard we have on the the platform. Yeah, so. Um, it's just kind of hard for me. It's hard keeping up with the social media. I, I learned about, okay. um, some apps that can help with that. And so I'm, I'm using Planally, but I haven't really, I, mm. I haven't set it up completely. I just have the app right now with my account, but Planally is supposed to be a good one. And there's some other ones, but the, the social media is hard to keep up with because I'm still teaching. So
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Know. Uh, I think having two people helps too. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm doing it with my, with my friend, um, and he's he's a media guy, like he's in that media space, oh, that's and so crazy. he's he's doing more of like the the engineering part of it, I guess, like the like putting our tracks together when we record, yeah. um, uploading it, doing all the technical stuff. But we're still learning as we go. Yeah. Um. I, you know, we were my wife and I were actually cooking dinner and listening to your guys's podcast uh, oh. while we were cooking dinner, <laughs> and uh, hey. had some yeah, it was cool, you know. And I was like, hey, I know those girls, you know, because <laughs> uh, it was it was your interview with Linda oh yeah
2: yeah.
1: yeah. and so, so it was pretty cool um you know you guys all have nice voices uh yeah. Rosalie you have a really good like NPR style voice Ooh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah so I was like oh that sounds really cool I just like what, I like what you guys have done with it and it looks clean on Spotify and all that kind of stuff so um you know anything I can learn from you in that space I, I would love to learn it it's it's cool to connect with people who have similar hobbies
0: I definitely recommend, um, there's a Facebook group and I'll actually, are we friends on Facebook? I don't even, do you have a Facebook?
1: I think we're, I do. Uh, I think we're friends on, on, on Instagram, Instagram now.
0: So yeah. if we connect on Facebook, I can invite you to a podcast support group. That's been super helpful. Oh, um, that's cool. And so, and we'll, after this, I'll, I'll invite you to it. And that, I wish I had signed up for it before I even started recording, but it's still been super helpful. So Okay, that, I would love to
1: take a look at that.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, it's really cool because they, I mean, people ask questions so you can see all the answers that people give and there's just like a lot of, they're really supportive and they just give a okay. lot of good advice on like all the all the little things that you have questions about, I have right. questions about, they're getting answered on that group. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Tell us about and your and podcast. Like, yeah, I'm is. actually
3: super excited about this because of the fact oh, that okay. you are an educator, all right? Yep. And... You're trying to do something with the podcast world. And I think that this is a great time for collaboration and great time for us to bounce ideas off each other, uh, to share resources like we're doing right now already. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) definitely think that this is going to be a great conversation. So go, go tell us a little bit about it.
1: Oh, okay. So I didn't, I honestly, I was just going to casually, you know, weave it into the conversation, but <laughs> I'll, I'll spotlight it for a second. Yeah. Um,
2: so my buddy, my,
1: my buddy and I, uh, it's the, the podcast is called socially challenged mm. okay. and it's kind of a take on like socially awkward and like mentally challenged a little bit. It's just like a little play on words. Right. Oh, yeah. And, um, I co-hosted with my best friend, um, his name's Sam Fergosa, mm. and we've literally been friends since we were four years old. And uh, we both are very, we, we come from opposite sides of the political spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely more to the to the left, and he's uh, a pretty staunch uh, he, he would call himself a libertarian. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. And so so've we, we've, we've kind of just our relationship, we've gone through our relationship uh, butting heads a lot and talking about politics, but we have such a good relationship with one another that we can, argue and have a civil disagreement and then, you know, go have, have some beers and, um, you know, a meal with each other and still love one another. And, uh, you know, our conversations do get heated. I'm not going to lie, especially in our last, our last episode, (laughs) you know, as we're coming closer (laughs) to the election, it's about, um, it's mostly about like, uh, current events and politics. Mm. Um, but also, you know, we, we grew up in the same church. We grew up in a really, a really strict Christian church. Mm. And so that experience molded us together. Mm. Um, and, you know, we're, we're both grad school level educated dudes um, and and we have very different views on the world. And so we are just trying to show people that you can actually have those disagreements and not hate people. Yeah. Um, you, you know what I mean? So we're just trying very to have beautiful. that conversation and see where it goes.
3: So this is interesting because I actually grew up uh, all over the place as a military brat. But yeah, my best friend in Virginia. During my middle school through high school years into college, um, and to this day, he actually started off super conservative Republican, and mm-hmm. has since, uh, I guess, kind of changed his views. But when we were growing up, we used to have these epic conversations, <laughs> I would call them. But my yeah. sisters, because we would talk on the phone for like back in the day, back in the day when there's only one line in the house. We used to be on the the phone and my sisters are like, why are you fighting for an hour on the phone? Get off the phone. You're just fighting. And I was like, we're just having conversations. Yeah, that's just how we talk. This is how we're just passionate about things yeah. and we like to talk to yeah. each other about them and, <laughs> yeah. and we and, truly you know, do we love each, each other, other so much and we can yeah. disagree all day long but we we totally love each other so it's, it's crazy yeah,
1: yeah that, that's exactly it's funny because you know I'm, I'm 35 years old he's 35 years old and we we're grown men and we tell each other we love each other when <laughs> yeah. we get off the phone hey, all right brother love yeah. you you know what i mean
3: absolutely and i
1: know that's that's uh that's, I, real I bro. Think,
3: that's a real bro
1: yeah yeah is. <laughs> it's a, a real like real life brother you know what i mean that's it um so yeah, we're we're just trying to do that. It, it's been cool. It's been an interesting experience. Um, we also have one of our buddies who's a, a military veteran. Um, he was in Fallujah, in in um, in uh, he's in the army. He did a couple of tours, but Fallujah was one of the places he was at. Um, and we we just call him our our wartime correspondent, and we have him on every once in a while. We been to Eric, <laughs> nice, so nice. that's really and he's a firefighter in Denver now. And so we you know to get that perspective um, it's nice. pretty cool. And so. Yeah. We want to have just different people on it and, um, and, you know, talk about the things that are going on and, and get different perspectives on it. So respect, yeah. Respect, man. Respect. I love that. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah.
0: How long have you, have you all been doing that?
1: <laughs> all right. So, so we actually had our first show in, I think we went live on Facebook in like 2016, like right before the election. Um, and then we just went quiet for like three years <laughs> and then, had, and then had our second episode uh, probably like a year ago. And then, You know, probably up to close to 10 episodes now. Um, So yeah, it's I mean, it's on Spotify, we're still trying to figure out, um, you know, like how you have it, you seem to have it everywhere, like on Apple, on uh, Spotify, all that stuff. And so I would love to hear from you about how you actually get it on all the platforms. Yeah, how did we do that?
0: (laughs) I did most of that work. She's the one behind it, dude.
3: I'm trying to tell y'all. There's there's
0: actually (laughs) platforms that will help make that process easy. And I use Podbean. So um, Podbean is like the main platform that I publish on. And then it actually makes it real easy to, it just kind of, I selected what um, other platforms I wanted to add it to on their yeah. on their list like they give you a list of like the most popular platforms and i just kind of clicked i want it to be on those and then it automatic when i okay. publish on podbean it just shoots out to all the okay. other ones Podbean's not the only one um but it's uh just- Lys-
1: lysol or lyston i think that's the one he's using right now it's called lyston
0: okay yeah there's like that one there's another one there's a few that are pretty popular after joining and the do Facebook.
1: you have to pay for for like um so because i guess we were running into a, a thing where we're only allowed on spotify to to upload like 45 minute chunks of episodes
0: yeah you have to pay
1: for a subscription right
0: yeah there's i think there's a a free version where you're very limited and then and then there's different levels and i'm on the first level right now so as okay. i'm like i kind of figured as we're building our our fan base and like figuring out where we're going. Um, I do want to eventually open up a a Patreon account um, once we establish ourselves as an LLC because um, we actually we're currently trying to look for a stenographer to do transcription for us to make it accessible on YouTube so that part of hearing and deaf or just visual, more visual people can read closed captions while they listen. Yeah. Um, so we would. Mix. I heard
1: that episode you had with the uh, the teacher who was hard of who was. Um, she's deaf. Hearing impaired, right? Yeah, she's deaf. Yeah, profoundly, wow. profoundly
0: deaf. Yeah. yeah, she. That's
1: so crazy to, to see. Like, uh, I could hear the delay a little bit with the the signing. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very common if you've ever had a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. who's hearing impaired. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, so I just thought it was I thought it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it was. Man, really thanks for cool. checking that out, man. Yeah, that's probably our. Hey,
1: I
2: don't. Yeah. Like,
1: I, I want to listen to yours now I haven't listened to yours I know, yet we're
2: gonna have to listen. yeah we're
1: definitely gonna listen <laughs> yeah listen to it um I'll just forewarn you on it man it's not like necessarily a family friendly um... <laughs> oh I was gonna
0: ask you that I was gonna ask you that because I was like oh I wonder if my students can listen to like kind of get a sense of how people but I guess not <laughs> like of how people can well,
1: disagree I, mean, and... I I I try to I I noticed this about myself and I guess this is like the What's cool about this stuff is I think it's almost like therapy. You know, oh, yeah. you talk so much and it almost becomes therapy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um I'm I'm sure you probably ran into this as an educator. Um, but you know, when I was a classroom teacher, I used to film myself a lot and I would go back and I would watch yeah almost like game footage of my teaching. And it it kind of puts you in check and humbles you a little bit because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, is that what I look like? Is that what my voice sounds yeah. like? Is that you know what I mean? <laughs> Do I say sure. like that many times? And so um doing this, I I noticed that um that when I get hyped about a topic, I cuss a lot, and I'm trying to, <laughs> you know, what I mean, I'm trying to get better about that. So, so you that communicate like a human. It Sounds <laughs> yeah. like you communicate <laughs> you like know. a person who
3: is yeah. passionate
1: about things. <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, we of course we have a couple drinks when we do it too. And oh so, yeah, oh yeah. And we know we've uh, again we've been friends since we were four years old, so we know how to push each other's buttons. Oh and, yeah, and uh, so all that. So yeah, I, I mean, it's not like we we talk about anything. Um, you know, bad. It's just that, you know, we'll we'll, we'll curse a a little bit, talk politics and, you know, talk some crap back and forth. So that's
0: what I, I, it's funny because I initially, I had considered how like it would be a fun podcast if it was teachers drinking together and just you know, talking. But then I was like, but that's not good for our careers. So like, unfortunately, right.
1: oh, Drunk teachers. That's
3: yeah, what it could like, be called. Drunk yeah. teachers.
0: Like, but we did as we there were. There
3: are podcasts that do that.
0: There are podcasts oh, that I'm do sure. that. And they
1: Anonymously. Re-
0: they remain anonymous.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. That's really smart.
0: And I was like, oh, wow, that is actually really smart. But then I was like, but Ooh. I don't want to remain anonymous. So <laughs>
1: Nah, hey, so if we funny. remain anonymous, I have some gems about teaching. Oh, you, so that yeah, yeah
0: you can go on their podcast <laughs> and yeah, just sure. spill yeah. all the secrets.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: But yeah, it was, I, I definitely, I mean, we were in class together. So we were in graduate school for the people listening. Um, that's how we know each other. And, um, I definitely get, I cuss a lot when I get passionate too, in front of my professors. So
1: like, yeah. I know the feeling. Especially, I can, I can think about one instance in particular, <laughs> watching you go off, watching Rosalie go off in class. And I was like, it's about to happen. Yeah. It's about to happen, guys.
0: I know. I actually know what incident you're talking about. Yeah.
1: It was a dolls Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all in the room. I, just, I
0: was, I, I remember like, it was, it was, and,
1: this is a safe space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want. Don't worry, I'm not going to mention any names. But That's I thought you were funny. going to strangle that in that that professor. That, that I was person. like, oh, it's about to happen.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I was I was very close. I definitely get. I, I I understand the like getting really hyped up and like starting to cuss a lot because I love to cuss. And I and I, Mike's first of all, I was in the military, so I use the an mouth excuse. of a soldier. I have the mouth oh, of a yeah. soldier. <laughs> but also, I'm an English teacher, and I don't like yes. to censor things. Right. Like I don't right. discriminate. There's like there's two words I could think of that I will not ever use, and the rest of them are fair game.
1: <laughs> right. I, I mean, obviously, like the N word is always off the table. You know and, what I mean? Yeah. And then and,
0: the F word that rhymes with maggot. Like those are. Yeah, like the, of course. Those are the two words I, I say. Okay, we can censor those, but the rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> Are fair
1: game
2: <laughs> they're pretty fair game
1: and you know it's funny you talk about you talk about that with um teaching english um i had like a brief stint stint with taking over some english classes long term yeah.
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i think that censorship is like one of the worst things you can do in an english class yes it, so you want to be you want to be cognizant of of who your audience is and uh you know their reading abilities and like cultural sensitivity and all this kind of stuff but like um, you know, in, in, I think the classic example is Tom Sawyer, yeah. uh, Mark Tom Sawyer, you know, it has the N word in there a couple of times and they're banning it from schools. And I thought about it. I'm like, I mean, how w- the music we listen to now, you mm-hmm. know, we're saying you're hearing that every other word. Yeah. It's not that kids can handle that. You know what I mean? And that's a, that's a snapshot in a time. So why not let them read something like that? You know what I mean?
0: And I think for um, me as an English teacher, it provides these really beautiful opportunities to discuss those things. And I think right. that so like when it comes to like the Huckleberry Finn and, and all of those books, the concern about how we. Like Finn? I'm sorry.
1: I said Tom Sawyer. My
0: bad. But yeah, you know, I we, we know which one you're talking about. Like, I okay. <laughs> there's the argument about, you know, just generally across the board, the canon that's used in American English classrooms is outdated. It's very white. It's very like so I understand like that. Why are we so stuck on it on these books? And but so for me, it's like, well, we shouldn't ban them. We should. We right. definitely should reconsider the canon and what we introduced to our students in 2020, and what we, you oh, know, yeah. you know, it's like it's not to downplay the the classics, if you will, but you know, we don't have to always read the classics. But then at the same time, if we do read it, even if we just touch on a passage and it happens to have the N word in it, it provides this really great opportunity to discuss the N word. And I've had N word yeah. discussions in my class. I actually try to incorporate them once a year, where it's like we're yeah. going to talk about the N word today, and it yep. always. Has gone well for me. Like good teachers,
3: good teachers will say, as an opportunity. But the administration, I've done that a, administration a, yeah. I think, probably see it as a liability. And that's probably where the issue is.
0: Yeah. I oh, think... for,
1: for sure. I could see administration being, you know, it, it depends on if your admin has, has faith in you or not. Yes. I've, I've actually done, um, do you know what Socratic seminars are? Oh, yes. I
2: love, that. That. I love those.
1: A so- <laughs> I love a Socratic seminar. Mm. And I've actually done a Socratic seminar on, on using the N-word.
2: Yes.
1: And so it was tough. Honestly, it was really difficult. But, you know, if you train your kids well enough and, and um. Yeah, like train your kids well enough and, and set standards and, and, you know, boundaries about what you can discuss and can't discuss, then I think it could go pretty well. Yeah. Um, if you don't, then that could implode and be terrible. Yeah. But You, know, you definitely you, you
0: should, yeah. don't want your first Socratic seminar of the, the year to be on the N-word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You want to oh, train you know them. What?
1: Actually, I'll drop this because I guess it's relevant. Um, Monday is indigenous people and That's Columbus right. Day, right? Yeah. Right. Right. So um, I can remember I was teaching eighth grade history and I always used to start my unit. It was a an intro unit, and the culminating project would be a Socratic seminar.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well, it was either a, yeah, it was a Socratic seminar, and the central question was, should the United States continue to celebrate Columbus Day as a national holiday? Mm. And so that would be the central question, and I would throw it at my kids, and they would have to use and you know evidence based arguments to back it up on whether or not we should yeah. we should continue to celebrate it. And so that's coming up on Monday. Yeah. Um, and and I was just thinking about it. it was always one of my favorite lessons that I would do, um, because, you know, you would get kids coming up with solutions and talking about like Indigenous Peoples Day and yeah. just things that are more culturally relevant. And and I would have loved to have history classes like that. Yes.
2: Uh, but
1: I didn't I didn't grow up having history classes like that. It was like, <laughs> you know, Columbus was the dopest person. Right. And yeah. never mind. Never mind that, you know, he he helped to, to spark the the yeah. genocide of well, all these natives you know what i mean yeah but, um, that's a conversation
3: yeah. you can have on your podcast right
1: <laughs> yeah for sure for sure
3: <laughs> <laughs> hey so i'm actually curious about like your influences because i've recently got put on to uh Sagar and jetty
1: oh man if, for rising yeah rising dude. him and crystal ball
3: yeah dude i'm a such they're a big the only, f-
1: so they're interesting the only ones i watch. to be yeah.
3: honest with you um
1: there's so much BS in the media right mm-hmm, now with mm-hmm. with reporting. And those two do it right because, you know, Crystal's on the left and Sagar's yeah. on the right and mm-hmm. um, he's young. And I think he's so – I think smart. his type of thought is yeah. like the the future of the Republican Party, even mm-hmm. if I don't agree with him. Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I I, I rarely agree with him, star. but I always want I mean. to hear what he has to say. I always yeah, want to hear yeah, yeah. what he has to say, yeah. Follow him on Instagram. If yeah, you, I already If you have an eye. Yeah, yeah. follow him. I think he's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> man that's, no, that's cool man. we're on the cool. same wavelength over yeah, here yeah i thought you might I thought crystal you might. that rising shows is my jam i watch it every morning
3: wow okay
1: yeah so that yeah. do you
3: feel like your show sort of has that feel to it where it's very free um and very supportive of one another type of like what type of analysis level of analysis are you getting at or is it more social and um laid back kind of how we do things over here
1: Oh, well, we we kind of preface the whole conversation with we're just a bunch of idiots, and you shouldn't base your <laughs> you shouldn't base your, that. Okay. your your political take on our on, on our analysis. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, but, but also at the same time, like I said, we're we're both educated people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do go about it and there's a certain methodology uh, about it. And, so are your
3: conversations um, organized in any way or do you guys kind of no. set up a... No, I mean, I
1: throw up a list. I'll throw up a list on my whiteboard I have over here, okay. but I'm not trying to follow an agenda with an objective <laughs> yeah. and all that, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, we, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but just for him and I, our style um, yeah. and, you know, our, our chemistry. Yeah. But um, we also like long form. So long form conversation yes, bro. is... Awesome. Yeah, so like our last episode went almost four hours wow so Um, i'm a huge fan of
3: all the long form stuff that's been put out i think it's a lost art and i think that's my only contribution to this show because rosie literally does everything else my (laughs) style is to be a conversationalist i think you know i'd like to call myself that just because the fact that i'm just so genuinely curious about other people and i want to know what they're talking about what they're thinking about and it's just so natural for me to listen and try to like get you to talk. <laughs> so yeah. that's my whole game. That's my entire motivator. So he really is. Yeah, don't that. discount
1: yourself. Your talent, man. Yeah, that's yeah good. Yeah, yeah. I, I
0: always tell people he's the kind of person because this literally has happened that we could just like walk as we're walking from our car to a restaurant. He's made like ten friends in the parking lot. Yeah, like, he's just yeah. Like, never met a
1: just, never met a stranger, right? That's yeah. cool. He's
0: just always um, talking. Yeah.
1: So so influences as far as that. I actually I I kind of went through this like. Um, this like a uh, gut check, I guess, earlier in this year about what is healthy amounts of media to be consuming in your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rosalie, you know this just because of the work that I did in our grad program, that, that like w- mental health and, and wellness is really something that's important to me. Um, I think as an educator, I learned that the hard way, um, mm-hmm. you know, like teacher burnout is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And I think I experienced it in a in a unique way. And I know a lot of people experience it. and so you know, I I really did have to go on this, like, gut check uh, journey about, like, the things that I was allowing into my brain space and the things that I won't allow. Yeah. And um, I, uh, and being in, you know, in in COVID times and shelter in place, like, there's so, there's so much just, like, stuff going on and being put in our heads, and, you know, we're not socializing as much, and so I think we have to be really cautious about what we actually do put in our heads, and um, I think what what really, like, kind of, just really amplified this for me was in the with the George Floyd stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I woke up one morning and I I had seen you know how you see like headlines on YouTube or you right. you know and I I and I was like I can't watch that man I'm not in the good I'm not in the right brain space for it. Right. And uh, it was one morning I was waking up and I was doing my morning my morning thing and my brother sent me a video on Facebook Messenger and he's like hey watch this and it was the the, the video of you know oh, George God. Floyd being. Yeah. I mean if we're being honest being executed in front yes. of our eyes you know what yes. i mean and it i'm not gonna lie like i i'll it, i got teary-eyed thinking about it for probably a week almost two weeks after that every day i thought about it and i was like did i just watch somebody die in front of me like not not in real life but you know on video right,
2: yeah
1: and uh i just noticed that like the media i was consuming was putting me in this brain space like i would get up and i would look at twitter and i would look at um you know, uh, I would look at Trump's Twitter in the morning and I would just be pissed off Mm by something that he said. And it was dictating my brain space for the rest of the day. And I could tell. Yeah. And so I've really gotten trying to try to be real good about detoxing, uh, maybe not detox, but like, by like putting boundaries around the media that I consume. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's, I'm not always successful with it. Like I deleted Facebook off of my, off of my phone. So I'm not obsessively checking it every, you know, hour and yeah. um you know no no snapchat no couple other things you know what i mean so just putting little things to to try to like free up some brain space i think is pretty powerful
0: yeah i think it's made me happier i definitely <laughs> think that we've all been feeling i i have a habit i don't do it as methodically i feel like as you did but like i will just have these weeks where i just refuse to listen to the news to like if I if I do go on my social media and it's anything about a current event I'm just like nope nope I'm not looking at this like I can't and what that's led to is I I have TikTok on my phone and I just obsessively watch TikToks because the algorithm will it will um adjust to what you're interested in so if I'm Suddenly, I'm interested in watching babies videos on TikTok. Then it's just gonna show me a bunch of cute babies, and I'm like, "Yep, I'm just gonna watch cute babies. <laughs> like, I'm just <laughs> like, I'm not gonna read the news. I don't care what's going on. Yeah. Like, I mean, I do care. I care too much. That's why I'm gonna just. Mm. Yeah. And, then I, and I feel like though then the problem is is I'm not aware of certain things that are going on, and I don't like that. Like, I wanna, I wanna be aware of what is going on, but I like you said, I don't want to consume it to the point where it's like, causing mental and physical harm to myself
2: right
0: it's really hard balance because i think about too like there is a certain level of privilege that comes with being able to shut those things down Mm -hmm. um and like you know not wanting to wanting to continue to do whatever work i can within the little space i live in to help right Disable the things that we're seeing with like racism and ableism and LGBT, anti LGBT, and like all those things, but Mm -hmm. also like not getting letting those things take residency up in my mind to the point where I'm not Mm -hmm. you know I'm not able to function it's a really hard balance
2: yeah
1: you can care for those things and I and that's what I'm learning is you can care about those topics and I don't think you or I would have gotten into education if we didn't give a crap about kids and the problems in our society you know what I mean Yeah. I think most teachers are virtuous in that sort of in in that avenue right um But like I said, I'm learning that it can't take up all of your brain space to make it that you don't live a happy life. You know, Um, there's a big yeah,
3: it's a big issue when what's being broadcast to you sort of is being consumed without your intentional consent. Like, I mean, without your Mm -hmm. you, you know, when you turn on something and the first thing that pops up as you look at your phone is like graphic images. It, it's invading your space yeah. so like i feel like yeah that's a great point what's interesting about media and how it's morphed into what it is today i think is that it serves the purpose um i guess social media specifically but i feel like it's serving the purpose of conversation you know it's just communication between people and right why long-form podcasts still have a place in this You know, in this in this genre, I guess, is that is that people just really crave the communication. So it can be in the form of several related TikTok videos at 20 Mm -hmm. seconds each, or it can be in the form of a conversation that lasts four hours. It's the same thing because you're just basically binge watching something or binge binge consuming something. But I think something that you relate to in a way that you would also relate to if it was live and in person, so like right. me having a conversation with you face to face is almost as comforting. You know, it's it. I find the same comfort when I listen to to other people on a podcast having a conversation face to face. Right. There's something about the familiarity that you that you're hearing that kind of gives that comfort and that I don't know. It, it's really, really <laughs> an interesting time and and that we're we're kind of like were able to peek into other people's lives this way, in a way that yeah, you have access yeah, that you never just- had
1: before, you know. And and it, it's, I think it's it's helped me to see just how kind of crappy things have been, yeah. <laughs> you know. Like, and and I was, I, I'm a credentialed history teacher, so like mm. history is my my thing. Mm. So just looking back on on you know the totality of history, a lot of times, even like our country's history. And I look back on it and i'm like oh we did some pretty cool things and then i'm like we did some really crappy things too
2: yeah
1: and i i think access to information and the different types of information that we have now it has totally like um changed my perception of who we are in the world and maybe what my place in the world is Yeah. um and so yeah sometimes that's disheartening and i i don't know how you guys i mean you guys are both veterans so so I know that especially for you guys I've had a conversation with one of my buddies about this before um uh about you know being sold a, a bill of goods and mm-hmm. and uh you know going into the navy and then it wasn't necessarily what he thought it was yeah. you know what I mean
0: I was thinking about that recently actually because um I definitely I, I f- he was already a little more politically aware as a young adult than I was um I went in I cuz 9/11 happened my senior year and and then I enlisted a couple months later and I definitely was like you know I was it was just 18 year olds are just so easy to target you know it's just like <laughs> for the military it's like mm-hmm. I was I was on the cusp of becoming an adult and then we know that the military targets minorities and like a certain income Yeah And I didn't have, I'm first generation college student. I couldn't have gone to college without the military GI bill. Um, And I, and so that they, they offered me money and then they offered me um, heroism. You know, it was like, like, it's like you're going to be able to go to college and you're going to be like one of the greatest Americans to ever live. And you're going to get the best training and you're going to, And you go into basic, and it really is brainwashing. Like I mean, and we, and it's funny because when you're in it, you kind of feel it. You're like, "Yep, I'm being brainwashed right now." And then, but you just technically
2: it's (laughs) operant conditioning.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah, sure. Wow,
2: that's crazy. But it's
0: like, but I remember, like, especially. So it's. i I'm so curious about basic training today, um, because in 2003, when I went to basic training, it was Uh just. I remember drill sergeants having discussions with us about. Um, are you gonna be prepared to jump on the grenade? And it was daily. Damn. Daily, daily reminders that a real soldier will jump on the grenade to save the rest of the team. Yeah. And really believing my entire military career, and to this day, honestly, like I think about that. I'm like, I think I will jump on that grenade. And it's and for me, it's at the time it was like, Yeah, because that's what you do. You're a soldier, that's what you do. I have yeah. kids, I have kids now. And so yeah. the thought of like, like with with um like the school shooting has become a really big issue. Oh my God! A lot yeah. of my colleagues were very frightened starting in two thousand this the, the two thousand nineteen school year, um, mm-hmm. because you know it had it reared its ugly head again, and um, they were like, I don't know what I would do. Like, what would we do? Or you know, and I remember just kind of not feeling fear about that. And I talked to, I had talked to him about it and I was like, and, but, and I know I was like, cause the problem is if somebody points a gun at me, I'm going to react the way I was trained to react and I'm not going to yeah. come home. And like yeah. when I was a soldier, that was cool. <laughs> when I was a single soldier yeah. without kids, that was cool. Yeah. But I have kids now and I'm, i, I yeah. mean, they train you in a way where it's second nature. Like, you know, it's, it, and they right. do that for, for a reason. They did research on, um how soldiers were performing in, Viet- in vietnam and they found that um you know they wouldn't expend their bullets they weren't even shooting their weapons when they were in a firefight and, and in some cases they, they if they look at where they were shot they can see that they were shot in the back that meant they were running away so they were like mm-hmm. how do we get them to not run away and they came up with these training tactics that were still being used when i was in basic training to teach us to that it, second nature to pull the trigger and to run forward you know and wow. so. Wow. And like you said, like looking back, I, w- I, I enlisted under the Bush administration. I also got to mm-hmm. serve under Obama. Um, I was, yeah, like I went in thinking like this is going to be the best thing for me personally, but also I'm going to do this for my country. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was very angry with at 9-11 and, and the audacity for someone to come on our turf and to do that to us. And then I remember when I got out of... um. Basic training, we got to go to AIT and we finally got to watch the news and we were in Iraq. When I went in, our beef wasn't with Iraq. It was very shocking for all. I remember a group of us were all sitting at the table having just graduated basic training. We hadn't had access to the news in two, two months. And suddenly we're looking and they're talking about how we invaded Iraq. And I was like, we were like Iraq. I thought we were fighting Afghanistan. Yeah. And I feel like from that moment that's on, crazy. it was just, it was just constant real realizing that I'd been lied to. <laughs> like
1: was... that, well, that's so crazy. I, I was, man, I, I told you about my buddy who was in the Navy. Um, you know, he, I, I always look at, I actually used to mention him when, um, uh, cause I, I taught upper high school. So I taught a lot of seniors and I was on like the graduation committee. So I did all the senior planning, all that kind of stuff. Right. Like an advisor yeah. basically. And I always used to tell him about my buddy who was in the Navy and, you know, he was in for for eight years. He got to travel the world. He ended up doing the GI Bill and, and you know, got put through college and all that kind of stuff. And he's grateful for it, but he also feels the same way as you. You know yeah. what I mean? That that maybe it's worth it because he made it back, yeah. but not everybody gets that opportunity. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Um,
1: and- I wanted to be, I was, a, I think, are you O2? Are you class of O2? Yes. Okay, so I'm class of 03, so I was a junior when 9-11 happened. Yeah. And I was all about trying to join the military. I actually wanted to be a Marine. Wow. Um, and one of the reasons why I wanted to be a Marine is because I was uh, I was a wrestler, and mm-hmm. so I wanted to be on the Marine wrestling team. Yeah. And so I wanted to do it. I went through, you know, we'll talked to a recruiter, all that kind of stuff, but my vision automatically disqualified me. Yeah. Because um, I'm, I'm blind out of my left eye. Mm. Mm-hmm. So automatically disqualified me. And I remember being so bummed about it, you know, like I can't go serve my country. I can't do this, can't do that. And then now I look back on it almost 20 years later and I'm just like, oh my, thank God I'm blind. You know what <laughs> I mean? I, <laughs> <that>. <laughs> like, I, was yeah. just, I was just gone for it. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, I, I lucked out, you know?
0: I feel like like your friend is exactly, I think the sentiment for a lot of us who are Gulf War to veterans um we have this like split feeling of gratitude and resentment <laughs> like at the same time yeah. like there's things I'm very resentful of before but then there's things I'm grateful for I mean the one thing that the military provided me was social mobility I don't know how mm-hmm. I could have have the education that I have and the ability to socially mobilize upward that I have if the military hadn't provided me with that but it did come at a, right. a pretty serious cost of some things that I think I, again, like your friend, I'm lucky that I was able to overcome and come back. Um, but there, there definitely have been yeah. a lot of, of our battle buddies that did not have that. And that and, then, and we come, I um, think... Did
1: you guys meet in the military? What was that? Did you guys meet? Sorry, I interrupted you, but did you guys meet in the military?
0: We did. Mm-hmm. We were actually stationed okay, in Korea. So you, got a,
1: you, got a, you got a pretty dope husband out of it, so that's true. cool. True, true. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. (laughs)
2: That's true. Little
3: known fact is our first date was on a black hawk ride over the city of Seoul.
0: He's been waiting to say that on a podcast. That's that's
3: (laughs) pretty awesome. True statement. True statement. I'm not
1: gonna lie, that's pretty awesome. And that's how we found my um my My first date with my wife was at Tepa's Taqueria in Stockton, right next to Delta College. <laughs> nice.
0: Kind of, you know, the the same, kind of
1: the same thing. By the, you know you where know, you know, Mervins, you know, our Mervins we used to be?
0: Oh, yeah. There used to be a Mervins. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah.
1: I right, like how you right. flexed on me like that. <laughs> <laughs> dropping dropping <laughs> you Mervins. You flexed on me, man. You were in a helicopter over Seoul. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, man. Uh, I think um, it's such a confusing thing to be, you know... It, Serving your country because, you know, you know, putting my personal story aside, I think just the fact that our country's history, as you were saying, is so complex. Yeah. The right. fact that it's it's just so much more layered and nuanced than the way it's told in schools and the way you're sort of taught to to understand it. Mm-hmm. That's really the issue because I think if you just told it more honestly, you'd still have people who would serve and you'd still have people who could yeah. find peace in their decision to do that for their country I don't and i think we're actually doing a disservice to to mm-hmm. to children or to young adults by not highlighting sort of the content, contentious issues that there there are in our history so I, I i just feel like you know we don't have to hide the truth so much but we're i think that's kind of how it's yeah. been practiced for a long time it's like hey yeah. let any kind of blemish we want to you know, sweep that under the rug. Let's just let's just like make sure the spotlights on all the heroic things that happen. I mean, that's kind freedom, of freedom, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, freedom. What's that's just status quo. That's just sort of the you know par for the course of how how to sell patriotism. But I think patriotism in the modern era is going to be a lot more about just understanding the complexities and acknowledging the good and the bad. I think that's going to be what true right. patriotism looks like in the future.
1: Okay. I That's think it what can hope. happen. And, and coming from, <laughs> coming from a history teacher, um, I've, I've been battling this a little bit. Like, um, there is, have you heard of that thing? It's called the 1776 commission. It was the the commission that Trump was trying to put together to, to create a patriotic curriculum for American history oh, classes. Oh, I heard a
0: little bit about it. And uh, that was one of the times I shut down.
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm not, I'm not trying to make this all politics. I'm just saying there's certain things that impacts education, you know mm. what I mean? And coming from an educator's perspective i just think that's super dangerous to yes. indoctrinate people and and i think the fear is the fear is that if we are true about the things that we have done in our history that people will be weary uh to to maybe continue to march towards greatness but <laughs> but whatever that means in america yeah. you know what i yeah. mean but um yeah. I think you can do both. I think you can be critical of your past, and I think you can also love your country. Absolutely, and, and
2: that's you know, my that's point. where I am. You yeah. know,
1: like I was, I'm grateful that I was born in one of the most beautiful places in the entire world not not um, Central California, but just California in general. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean?
3: It's like um, if, um,
1: I can both yeah.
3: be a proud American and also wish that our country could have less racism. Isn't that okay? Can I can I have that? It be. You know, yeah. it be. can I can yeah. I can I acknowledge a brutal history of slavery, but also have the hope for the world? And I understand that the world is relying on us to be good as leaders, as a country, right. as, you know, as a, as a world power. Can can that can both right. be true? Like, why why right. do we have to be like, oh, none of that shit exists? Sorry, with the in there, but why why do we have <laughs> yeah, to be like time, that? I just time. don't <laughs> understand this. Why do people think yeah. it's got to be one way or the other? It's like when you finally find yeah. out, oh. You know, mommy and daddy aren't perfect. It's like, come on, guys, we can grow up and get over that shit.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
1: and and you know the thing is, you were saying um, the the way I presented it in in um, in my classroom before about slavery specifically, because you mentioned it, was look at all the terrible, look at how terrible his uh, slavery was, right? It was, it was so so terrible. All these things. I don't pull any punches. We talk about the slave trade. We read journals. We do all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Primary sources, hardcore. Um, but also I, I try to show the kids that like, because of the system that we had set up by our founding fathers and we have this constitution that's able to evolve, they were able to eradicate that. Yeah. It took a civil war, but right. we were also able to keep the semblance of a country because of the groundwork that was laid by founding fathers. Right. So yes, terrible things that happen and also, uh, solutions that were made through the system and that can't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's to know that, like you, like you said, you can be proud, you can be Grateful. I don't say proud anymore. I don't. I don't like that we're proud to be an American. I'm, i I mm. say I'm grateful.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, yeah. Okay. I really am. I'm grateful to be an American, and I don't care if people say they're proud. That that's fine. But for me, that just doesn't fit. So I say I'm. Pr- I'm grateful um, to be an American, and I'm. I will criticize the bad we do till the day I die. Um, yeah. But I'm also probably never leaving here. So yeah.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> and that's always such a weird thing for me too. When people, when you do acknowledge the bad and then people say, well, then leave. Like what? (laughs) It's like, I just, I feel like it's just such a, it's just such a lazy way to shut down an argument is honestly what it is. It's just like, you just don't, I don't know. It's very frustrating. And I I think it's because currently are you, are you currently teaching right now or you're still out of the classroom? I'm not. Okay. I am
1: out of the classroom still. I'm, I'm working for the, the, um, I'm, I basically I work for a company that does services for adults and kids with disabilities. Oh, Okay. So, uh, so yeah so we work with adults with disabilities.
0: I would tell you that I don't know how you feel about it, but I know like my fellow history teachers at the site I work at, they are having mm-hmm. a hard time right now. I mean all teachers are with COVID, but um, parents are listening into the lessons and mm-hmm. are you know they have opinions. And um, it's it's the history teachers, especially are having a hard time teaching the way they've always taught. It's always been this way. Just you know, and um, but now parents. So an example is a teacher that had a discussion about the Confederate flag and allowed students to share their opinions on it. And it was civil. Mm -hmm. And she validated students responses because she validated a, a parent was listening that believes. The Confederate flag is what it's not, <laughs> like basically. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and when this particular student said, "When I see the Confederate flag, it frightens me. When to see someone mm. wearing it, flying it, it makes me feel scared." And the student explained why. And the teacher said, "I can understand why you feel that way." The parent mm-hmm. complained that the teacher was indoctrinating students for validating that student's feelings. And our that's administration backed the teacher, luckily. But Good. just the fact that it even had to happen was, right. it's, and, and, and it was just like, it was such a, it just didn't make any sense. It was like, that's not indoctrination. First of all, like now we need to define indoctrination and like, right. and also like, can we just, can we just be remind everybody the Confederate flag was the flag of the the sector of the United States that no longer wanted to be a part of the United States, <laughs> like,
2: right? <laughs> like, yeah.
0: it's not an American flag,
2: right? <laughs>
1: like, you wouldn't fly, and I always think about that too. I'm just like, you guys realize these people tried to make it so that this country was, you know, what I mean, like they didn't, didn't want to exist. be part of this country anymore, <laughs> so like, they were trying to eradicate that sector of the country. So, why are we? Flying a flag that represents that and really what the answer is and I'll just be, I mean, you know, this, yeah. you would probably agree with this. The answer is rooted in racism and Absolutely. a lot of people don't want to don't want to admit to that. They want to say it's my heritage. It's this, it's all that kind of stuff. And, you know, my personal appear my personal opinion is, is like you can be proud of your heritage and not fly a flag that symbolizes division and hate and and symbolizes uh, a country that was conquered by our country you know what i'm saying it's,
0: i i heard it really good actually i was listening to a podcast that, a, that that teacher actually recommended it's called um oh man what is it called i've been talking to you about it all day sounds like hate have you heard of it
2: oh it's no but no, i love
1: that's oh. sounds like it's right up my alley it
0: <laughs> is by the southern poverty law
1: SPLC Yes, yeah.
0: and it's just it's new so they they have two stories out but it's four episodes um and they that one of the episode the episode I listened to today had made the comment like basically if you're of german descent and your grandparents were nazis you wouldn't even consider waving a swastika around
1: there's no way there's no way you would you would never Come do on. that
0: so why on earth yeah. Does the Confederate flag get a get a pass?
1: <laughs> like
0: What? Is, yeah. what? Like, like I said,
1: there's a lot of there. There's a lot of reasons why, and I think the root. Yeah. You, you keep digging the root of racism, you know, and and people aren't aren't okay with. I don't know, you know how people are so sensitive nowadays, and you could say that you could say it so to definitively, like the roots are in racism. Yeah. They're like, well, I'm not a racist person. I this and that, and I'm like, you don't understand. You might not necessarily be a racist person. Uh, racism in 2020 looks different than it did in 1920, exactly. you know it
2: looks very and different and
1: you might not necessarily consider yourself a racist and you might not actually be a racist person but you have to understand that a lot of um the tenets that you believe are rooted in racism and so it's going it, to it's going to seep through right um but but yeah and and you see that in you see that in school you see that in our curriculum um you see that in our <laughs> in a lot of things in the way that our our education system structured, you know what I mean? And I know you have those criticisms.
0: Yeah. I've heard those. I know you've heard my
1: criticisms of it before too. You know what I mean?
0: It's, it's really troubling. I mean, everything has been developed through a white lens and it's really hard when white people are still predominantly in charge, which is, I, I see it in my district. Um, Right. It's hard to, to, when you try to bring a perspective from the lens of somebody who's black or brown and that reluctance to listen is like the Mm -hmm. first obstacle and then when they do listen, they pick and choose what they hear and how they hear mm-hmm. it. And it's just this constant battle to, like, overcome, like, these little unnecessary obstacles of, like, can you just right. please listen to what it's like <laughs> to not be white? Just
2: listen. Yeah, yeah and
1: like, I, I got lucky. um I got lucky. You know, I, I taught in a small, tra- a small charter school, and so I had a lot of autonomy in what was... Um, you know what I taught—not um, necessarily the standards. Obviously, you have to teach the standards. Right. But as far as my my approach and the curriculum, I, I was allowed to use. Um, but I also advocated pretty hardcore for myself. And I think when you're in a uh, sometimes when you're in a bigger like a district school, it's a little bit it, because the ship is so big, it's a yeah. little bit harder to to make those turns. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and so I was able to. I actually created a uh, ethnic studies class. Um, I wrote an ethnic studies class and, and taught it to, um, to some high schoolers. And it was such a cool way to go about history, um, to, to look at the history of African Americans through the, through the eyes of African Americans, like through primary sources. Um, or even, you know, I, I have a bunch of, I had a, uh, predominantly, um, Latino student base, uh, like 60% at least. And so, for them to to hear about the Chicano movement and the Chicano movement, and and uh, you know Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez and yeah. all these people, that they kind of have like a, a vague idea who these people are, but not in a, in a standard history book. These people are are ignored.
2: Exactly. Um,
1: at least it was when I was going through school. You know, I can remember being in high school and going through U.S. history. Mm-hmm. And, and thinking like, where, where are the Mexicans? Like, right. where are the Mexicans? Where are the Mexicans? I never, and I always just assumed like, oh, we, we just weren't there. But that's just not yeah. the case, you yeah. know? And, and so if- just to, to be able to do stuff like that and to see kids' eyes light up and, be, and see a person that looks like them in a history book is something that I never had. Yeah. Um, and, and to see their eyes light up is just like, uh, you know, my heart's getting warm thinking about it right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's a cool thing.
0: I share that a lot with some of my fellow teachers and my administration, because the first time I got a real um, education about Mexican-Americans, especially in the state of California, and the impact we had in the creation of this state and in this country, was when Mm -hmm. I took uh, Mexican-American studies classes at San Jose Mm -hmm. State as a college student. Mm -hmm. and i was like i should not have had to wait that long as a californian who grew up in california went to a predominantly hispanic school Mm -hmm. and the first time i learned about mexican american history was when i chose to take a class as a college student in mexican american history and i learned about all of these these different groups and people who lived throughout california when california was still mexico you know Mm -hmm. and all of this work that they did and the impact they had on a lot of the decisions that were made. Um, That was the first time I learned about Mendez versus uh, Westminster.
1: Westminster.
0: Yeah. Like I remember
1: Brown versus board, you know, set the precedent for Brown versus board.
0: And it was in
1: California, in in California. We had no idea.
0: In California. (laughs) We didn't know we had the, we were the first to desegregate a school. And the governor at the time was the same Supreme Court judge (laughs) who, who, you know, it's just like, he was our governor. He was a California governor. And like, it was just like that just blew my mind. So I always, I, I always remind my administrators, especially, I'm like, that's the first time I learned this and we need to do something. And that's actually been, you're right about the districts. Like our district's a small district as a whole but our our school because we're the only high school we're a big high school and so our history teachers have been fighting to get ethnic studies incorporated and we have not won that battle yet but it's the fight is still on because we know that just the anecdotal reasons as people of color who've experienced it ourselves and who see it when we tell our students like hey especially in stockton stockton has such a rich history with mexican americans chinese americans filipino americans filipinos
1: and, oh, oh man my God. Let, and, me, let me give a shout out to the filipinos real quick because <laughs> i just, just like you had that that revelation um you had that revelation about california history mm-hmm. you know I, I got certain history through my family like you can you can actually trace my family's lineage to to this area since pre-united states so mm-hmm. like since this area was mexico you wow. can trace my family's
2: nice.
1: lineage from california to uh you know south texas to northern mexico like yeah so, so to hear some of those things and to hear like you know the the lead, urban legend in my family is that my great great grandfather was killed by a band of pancho villa's men in northern wow. mexico south <laughs> south um south texas nice. i don't know how true it is but i mean i like to claim it you yeah. know it, it's folklore <laughs> but um but there's so much we didn't learn in high school. And I was the same with you. I, I took a Chicano Latino studies course at Fresno city college in my first year of college. And I was like, all of this, I was learning about, um, like the farm workers, uh, mm. movement and, um, you know, you, the UFW and Cesar Chavez. And it, it, it didn't know until college how, how impactful Filipinos were in the migrant working field. And, and my, my dad, uh, my, my dad's parents were migrant workers. Um, mm and you know strawberries mostly and you know my dad so so that's i'm not far that far removed from that in my family right mm-hmm. and to know that there is so much solidarity between two groups of people um that share just a, a struggle and and it made me have a different uh, appreciation for Filipinos not that i didn't have them before but the mo- the more you see the struggles you see the struggle as parallel you know what i mean yeah. um yeah. It, it was Filipinos and Mexicans fighting for 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 farm right you know for farm workers' rights in the central valley where we're living right now. Yeah. And it's a shame that we growing up in the Central Valley don't know that rich history and we had to go seek it out through higher education. Yeah.
0: Especially you know what I mean? in Stockton. I mean Dolores Huerta is from Stockton.
1: Right. Yeah she's she's dope dude i love her i love her I she's love- so she's just such a we badass her. And for her to be we got to see her she uh, came to
0: the hagen museum and we went to go see her and i totally fangirled and i asked her one question and i like was ready i was like i could die now and
2: like yeah. I just, <laughs> that's I was, so funny
0: but like she's just so and then do we, you remember the question yeah i asked her this is important I asked her what her self care was because she, everybody was asking her. Yeah. yeah. Everybody was asking her about like, you know, how were you able to do all this work and not, you know, questions that she's probably been asked a million times. And then I was like, what do you do to take care of yourself? Like how is it cuz cuz a week after this question, she got
2: arrested.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> she was, she was, <laughs> That's great. This was just I a year ago. <laughs> like yeah. she
0: just That's great. and she said great, dope answer. She got arrested? Oh, yeah. she got arrested? Yeah, she so she went back home cuz you know she lives down south and uh-huh. she uh went to a protest. And yeah, she a protest. And she wouldn't leave and so they arrested her. I love her. Yeah, she's, I love her she's so like she's
1: like she's good trouble, baby. Um, Oh yeah, and so she good trouble, man. We lost some good ones this year. Yes.
2: Man. So, she, so hey, her she, response though, Her I was response.
1: Ask you oh yeah, her, her response. Was, was, she, I was gonna wait. What'd you say?
0: Her her response was that she dances. That was her response. Oh, for yeah.
1: real? <laughs> yeah, for real? Did she say what kind of music, or she just said dances?
0: She uh, she likes jazz, and good for her. But she also likes to. But um, I think she talked about dancing to like Mexican music, like cumbia, and like yeah.
2: you know. But shout she, out to Laura if you're listening.
0: Yeah, I know. I wish. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. But she like, yeah, she talks a lot about jazz music and dancing. So, anyway, sorry, what were you going to ask? <laughs> yeah,
3: what's up, what's up? Um,
1: You know, it was, uh, it was just a, a stupid question, actually. You guys live in Lathrop, right? Yes. So, I I thought you were in Stockton, but I was going to ask you if you're going to get lumpia in Stockton, where do you go? This Island is an important or May. Question.
0: No, you get it somewhere else.
3: This is a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> the correct no, answer is your answered. mama's house. All right. Okay, okay, you gotta go to mom's house, clear. number one. But his mom doesn't live here. My mom don't live here, so uh, okay, okay, if, yeah. But if I'm in Stockton, I'm a fan. Shout out to—I actually really like. It's called Manila Foods over there in Western Range. Holler, oh, yeah. Holler that's at West right. ranch. Western yeah. Range. Yeah, I okay. really love them. But uh, May is definitely up there on the list, mm-hmm. and I think followed by Best Lumpia. Okay, okay. Lu- Best, Best Lumpia's, Lumpia's is name is 91. kind of. Um, I don't know if it's misleading, but I feel like Best Lumpia is, actually has the best pancit probably. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah.
1: Dude, that's a pro tip. I'm that's actually gonna have to check that out. Yeah, you gotta check it out. <laughs> um, the, the reason, so I love. I just uh, one of my boys uh, brought just like a tray from Best Lumpia one time. Mm-hmm. It was just a tray of lumpia, and I, Can't. I got sick. I ate something <laughs> too. So, so in other words, you did it right.
3: So good. Yeah
1: what's that in other words you did it right you came correct i was it was so good man it was so good but um that's what i was gonna tell you i had a you know i I, i've had a a lot of filipino students and uh i really dug into this thread of filipinos and mexicans just because i like Mm -hmm. i told you i feel like the struggle is so shared and one of my my students she's just so cool her name was rachel she was really insightful she was sitting there one day and she was like um some kids were talking about they're like yeah mexicans and and um mexicans and filipinos are basically like brothers Mm -hmm. and then she was sitting there and she's like no 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 no. that's not what it is she's like don't you understand we're basically like uh bastard stepchildren. uh we have the same dad we have the same dad you know spain who goes and basically like you know rapes the native and then that and there's a group of people born out of it and so she she said you know we're basically the we're the sea mexicans is what she started the calling C-Mexicans. Filipinos. The island Mexicans or the sea Mexicans, and I was like, "No, you're Filipinos." But you know, it's good to see it's good to see that connection. Um, you know, bastard you know, children saw...
3: can still be brothers. So,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. So we went into this. We went into this whole conversation. and She just had like, you I could love tell it. it was the first time she had ever thought about this connection before, and it was just a cool, uh, just a cool thing. You know, I had a great relationship with the kid.
3: Real um, question. Real that. question. You know? Why am I not Hispanic? Answer me that. Riddle me that. You? One. Yeah.
0: Why aren't Filipinos, why aren't Filipinos Hispanic?
3: Filipinos, why are we not Hispanic? I don't know. Don't so, even
1: get me started on labels. Let me check that block, I then dude. I, give me that.
3: Good. Give me the pass. I'll so check the block. So I actually,
0: I wanted this. This is a this <laughs> yeah, brings, sure? All
3: right, thanks.
0: This actually brings good. up. So there's a book called The Latinos of Asia, by okay. Dr. Anthony Acampo, I think his name is. I read it, and he's a Filipino professor at UCLA. And he specifically focused on two neighborhoods in L.A. that are predominant, that have a, a, a large Filipino community. And he kind of talks about, you know, like, yeah, Filipinos can very much be Hispanic. And he actually says the reason, so Filipinos actually almost were considered Hispanic because of the work they were doing with the mm-hmm. Mexican farm workers. But mm-hmm. they, they also did a lot of work with the Chinese um, Americans in their uh, labor strikes and
2: they
0: that for some reason that one became more prominent like they became more prominently known for what they did with the with chinese americans in california and so then Mm -hmm. when they whatever bill they passed or whatever they they decided on they were like this is going to apply to asians and because the Filipinos were fighting, they were like, well, I guess you're Asian, too, then. Like, in order for it to apply to Filipinos, <laughs> like,
1: yeah. you're going to okay, be... Okay, so what would you say then, Tony? Would you, would you you Do you say you're a Pacific Islander? Do you say Asian? Like, what do you say? So
3: I've, I was blessed to have been born in Honolulu, Hawaii.
1: <laughs> so okay.
3: my parents are both born in the Philippines. So when people ask me where I come from... Mm-hmm. whenever when I was growing up I, I would say oh Philippines and then they'd be like oh and they'd start speaking Tagalog or something and I'd be like oh yeah. never mind
2: <laughs> <laughs> so then I started yeah.
3: saying then people were like oh where are you from and I'm like um America <laughs> and then people <laughs> were like oh you look like well, but where are you really from that, that was a question but, but where are you really from like what kind of Asian are you so then I was yeah. like oh well my parents are Filipino then later on I discovered that when people asked, where are you from? And I answered, um, well, I was born in Hawaii. No questions were asked. And everyone just kind of accepted okay. that. So from, th- from that point forward, I was like, I'm Hawaiian.
2: <laughs> That's a good
1: one. That's a really good one. I, I struggle with it too. Like, um, like just personally, I don't like uh, Hispanic. I don't like Latino. Even though I use Latino because I think just a broad term for the community. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it's like an encapsulating thing um but just like the labels in general i think are are always been like a weird thing for me
2: yeah me too.
1: um i say chicano personally i oh, cool. i used to say mexican american i now say chicano just because i think that's more of a um like a political thing for me to mm-hmm. be honest
2: yeah
1: um and just because it's i don't feel like i'm one or the other uh i don't i'm not mexican enough for mexicans and then apparently right. i'm not you know well, when people have to ask me, but where are you from? Like yep. they ask right. you, yep. it makes me feel not American. I just say you know I'm an
3: underrepresented
1: minority. Yeah, I, <laughs> like I, like I like that. So, so I press people on it actually, because um, I want them to feel uncomfortable about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they'll ask me like, what's your nationality? I hate that. That's one of my pet peeves. What's your nationality? Yeah, oh, what's your nationality? Don't know the and I'm like, I'm, I'm American. Dude, dude I'm American. Oh, America, but where dude. are you from? <laughs> uh, from Northern California. Yeah. No, but where are you from? Like exactly you know what i'm talking about yeah you know oh oh okay my ancestry will check it you know what i mean yeah yeah Uh, but but yeah i i just always thought that was interesting for for these boxes that we're supposed to check no lie dude i lived
3: i lived in north dakota
1: you get to check hispanic all right
3: (laughs) (laughs) well look look I, i lived in north dakota for four years okay my dad was stationed there right while i was there literally okay. the only Filipino or Asian kid for that matter on the block in my elementary school right so it was okay. very common for kids to just say like um what tribe are you from because that was the only minority out there was Native American Sioux tribe
2: oh, oh okay okay, yes. that makes sense.
3: so they're just like what tribe are you from because they couldn't figure it out and I would just be like the
1: Filipino
3: tribe <laughs> <laughs>
1: funny and they're probably like oh that's uh, yeah okay i think that's i heard of that funny. before yeah yeah
3: <laughs> that's south dakota huh um, yeah yeah okay
1: <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah, yeah you're like yeah all right man whatever uh well in spanish in spanish you you don't you usually say like chinito or chino
3: yeah and yeah. it's
1: just chinese and yeah. that's usually like all origins <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah you know what i mean city. even in spanish yeah. it's it's derogatory i guess you would say yeah. just you know? inaccurate
2: yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah, I'm it's way inaccurate. I know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I actually I agree with you because when you were thinking when you were talking about I've I've actually recently been telling people that I'm Chicana because of like the same reasons you said like I I Mexican American is just a mouthful. Yeah, <laughs> then, it, is. it and, is. And then I'm I'm also half white. My mom is white, and so then that's always been kind of weird too because. I'm not, I'm definitely not Mexican enough for the Mexicans, but Mm -hmm. my eyes are brown enough that white people question me. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. so then, and then my name is very Latin sounding. So it's just like, but I remember even seeing on social media, there was somebody I follow on Instagram. I don't remember his name, but he's a, um, he's Mexican, predominantly indigenous in ancestry. And he like Mm -hmm. refutes all titles that are European connected, like Hispanic, Latin. Latino, yeah. like anything, because he's like, I am indigenous, and like, yeah. and so he kind of talks about how that's like a problem, you know, and
2: yeah. and
0: and I have indigenous blood because my grandmother is indigenous, but we don't, I don't even know what tribe she originates from. My my grandparents don't talk about uh, mm-hmm. like our family line and it's like kind of a weird thing that I I don't know what their deal is um I've asked my dad I was like do you know anything he's like I don't know and I thought he was lying I was like come on you know mm-hmm. something and he's like I literally mm-hmm. your grandmother will tell me nothing and I'm like okay but it's like it's always something that people have said it to me too they're like oh your grandma's your grandma's indian looking <laughs> like, oh,
1: yeah. you know like yeah. and I'm like my grandfather the same thing my um my my paternal no excuse me my maternal great-grandfather uh-huh. uh was full-blooded Yaqui native wow uh, he wasn't mexican he was Yaqui. yeah oh, and yaki. you you look at pictures of him and you're like oh dude yeah. you're i mean they're black and white old pictures but you're like you're not mexican you're native yeah and so that's why i always say like um you know i have native i have mixed blood mexican blood in me and that's what a mexican is they're they're mestizo. That's what it started as. Is like a, a yeah. that that term that term Chicano was a derogatory term. Mm-hmm. Like if you trace the lineage back, the the name Chicano it used to mean it was a derogatory term that basically meant like the bottom, mm-hmm. the bottom of, or the the worst of, mm-hmm. and it it like the scraps almost. Yeah. Um, and actually, I grew up in a Mexican restaurant, and uh, my my family owned and operated a, a Mexican restaurant growing up. And we used to have this dish and it was called uh uh carne la chicana. It's like chicana beef. Yeah. And it was the it was the scrap meat. It was like the shittiest meat. And you mm. cut it up and put a bunch of spices in it and you make a really good dish. Yeah. But it was called chicana. The the more I've studied this, the more I realized like, oh, that was not not to equate it to the N-word at all because it doesn't carry the same weight, but it right. was a derogatory term that was taken out of the Chicano movement and used as an empowering yeah. thing to say like i am a mix i live in two worlds basically and i'm taking this world this word as an empowerment uh to, to kind of <laughs> label my my movement of what i'm you know fighting for
0: and you know what and that really connects to because my dad growing up used to always tell me like don't let people call you chicana or chicano like we don't we don't call ourselves that and but my dad couldn't explain it because i remember i'd say why and he's like well it means that you're like a whitewashed mexican that's what he used to say and I was like, Okay, I guess. But there's like a bunch of other words that also mean whitewashed Mexicans, so I'm not like you know,
2: I'm like right, I don't right. like
0: I don't know what you're and but I think like yeah, that makes sense. Like that's probably the sense that he was like there's just this general like whatever. And then also too, we know in the Mexican Where
3: does the term cholo come from?
2: I don't know. I don't know because uh,
0: before you know, they were know. when Pachuco was the original one. Oh yeah, they used, right. I used to call them Pachucos, and then it turned to cholo, like in the sixties and seventies. Oh yeah. Oh,
3: we got a research topic. They were like, they, yeah,
1: that's a good one. That's a good yeah, one to look up. I,
0: I I feel like I did look it up because I wrote a, I wrote a paper on Pachucos for my that Mexican American history class that I took. Years, yeah. Yeah, I was talking like the L.A. riots and everything. I wrote this whole. Yeah, oh, I I was writing. Riots, yeah. I remember the paper focused on how um like bachugos with the way they dressed and like it was you know Mm -hmm. there was a very empowering movement this this you know and but then it was white society flipped it as like gangsters or whatever and
2: um
0: i remember writing it was kind of like a little like study on how like um The being a pachuco, being a cholo like that, it was something that was to be proud of, and it was like a a way Mm -hmm. to like regain your power back. And how white society tried to flip it and like, well, you're a gangster. And yeah. like in that, the impact that it had on the community. But so I feel like it, if I go back and find that paper, it was like over ten years ago. Now, like I might have found out where the word cholo came yeah, from, but I don't cool.
1: remember.
2: Really you <laughs>
1: know, my my family had the same very similar sentiments. We weren't allowed. They we we couldn't say Chicano. It was Mexican.
2: Yeah, mm.
1: you're not Chicano. You're Mexican or you're Mexican American. Mm. And and they knew that that term was derogatory. Mm. And that's part of the reason why I do use it. Um, because I feel like there's some, some like identity things that my family wasn't necessarily allowed to embrace. That me being an educated person now, uh, yeah. an educated person of color, and and knowing more about our history that my parents didn't necessarily have the opportunity to to study, I feel like it's important to bring those things to to family. You know, yeah. Um, and there's a lot of things like growing up, we weren't we were uh, encouraged not to speak Spanish in public. Mm-hmm. um i i grew up in like a predominantly white area just outside of stockton in calaveras county mm-hmm. and we were one of like very few mexican families there and and just assimilating you know and, and and it's not that i'm people always ask like what generation are you are you like first generation second generation and i always just say like i'm generation zero like yeah. my family's been here since borders were moved and then borders yeah. moved and now we're american all of a sudden and yeah. And so I, I don't necessarily, like, identify with that, like, what level of generation you are. Yeah. Uh, but still, my grandparents, um, you know, my, my, my parents speak Spanish. My grandparents speak Spanish. And they would speak Spanish in the house. And even we would a little bit. But in public, it was not. It was you You want to assimilate. You know what I mean? We don't want people to know that we're different. We already have the big Mexican food restaurant in town to, to tip <laughs> us off enough. You, yeah. We don't need to. You know, go speaking Spanish in public now. That's and like so... my
3: my parents too were very reluctant to have to speak Tagalog around the kids. I mean, I felt like they spoke it around us, but they weren't engaging with us directly in Tagalog. They were mm-hmm. very consciously trying to make sure that I got this English accent because you know it's fancy. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. um, do you speak Tagalog? At all? No, I don't. Yeah, my, my, I actually speak more Spanish than Tagalog. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, <laughs> See, right. you can check
1: that box now. Check that yeah, box, right? Check that box. Yeah. Hey, let me ask
3: you this real quick because yeah. so I've been working for um, veterans. I do, I'm a veteran advocate, a veteran representative okay. um, for the past couple of years, and we have to fill out a lot of um, federal and state paperwork. And the mm-hmm. boxes that are on there, it goes: Are you Hispanic or non-Hispanic? And then it says, mm-hmm. and then what is your race? White, Black. Mm-hmm uh native uh, asian or pacific islander right
2: mm-hmm.
3: and it's so funny cuz i'll go hispanic non-hispanic they'll be like uh hispanic and then they'll then i'll say okay and then race and then they're like um hispanic and i'm like you actually have the options are white black <laughs> asian native and they're like oh native most yeah. of my most of the people that i've interviewed will say native but mm-hmm. there are also those who will say i am hispanic and i'm white yeah is that, is that something, well, I guess, like, where does ah, that come from? I'm kind of curious so about. So think
1: about this. If, if you think about this, um, Spaniards, uh, Chicano blood or Mexican blood is is half Spaniard. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's an indigenous. It's, it, the the mestizos are born out of the, the bastard children of the natives and the Spaniards. Right, right. right. So Spaniards are European. Yeah. Um, Spaniards aren't necessarily Latinos even and and so there are the think about like what what great britain was in terms of colonization to the um, to the united states mm-hmm. spain was uh, as colonizers to latin america but what
3: makes so, uh, what makes someone qualify as latino then
1: uh hi that's that's a good question like if for me personally when i check uh
2: uh
1: those boxes uh-huh. um i hate them but ethnicity i do uh hispanic or or chicano if they if it allows and when it comes to race it'll say uh white black asian or other i always click other uh, yeah. if i don't have an option yeah, for native other. yeah um because personally personally i think if you you can dissect it any way you want like mexicans technically are half european um i don't think that makes me white and mm-hmm. and so i refuse to to click that box Very not that there's anything wrong with it if you're white click that box but uh, personally, that's not my, that's not how I identify. So, you know, even in our older generations, like my grandfather's generation,
2: yeah.
1: um, I, I remember my, my uncle, my great uncle telling us that we were white, uh, yeah, or telling us that Mexicans were white because we were half, half Spanish. And yeah. I just never, that never stuck with me. It was always like, um, you, you know, it just never stuck with me that like Mexicans were white, but I understand what the, the, Why people try to classify it like that, but I'm just I'm not. Well, I was wondering if
3: you had actually experienced something like that, and that's that's that was the response I was curious about. So, yeah, like when you look into the Menendez, the Westminster case or versus Mm -hmm. Westminster case that we were talking about earlier with integration, like Mm -hmm. one of the things that was a foundation of that argument for allowing the integration to occur was that these Mexicans in in these particular districts were being assimilated or the argument was that the goal was for assimilation and therefore Mm -hmm. they were no longer as mexican as before and were becoming more white right so it's really interesting that i mean in the language they used back then i wondered how how that carried on to today because i think that's a little more rare in 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 a a modern sort of uh interpretation of of what a hispanic person is. is is that true you feel like you see that trend or no
2: um,
1: I think it depends with uh, I think as far as as people trying to classify uh, Mexicans, I don't I think that's actually more of a standard. It's more of a standard like uh, like your race is white, even though your ethnicity might be Hispanic. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I know that my generation and our age of people and yeah. maybe, you know, like Gen Gen X yeah. and beyond, basically
2: yeah.
1: um, people that are that are uh, Chicano will not be. That right. will not be a thing, <laughs> right. You know, when 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 one of us, when a Gen X or a, a millennial, I'm a millennial technically. Like, it, when one of our people of our, that generation is in charge of the census, all that stuff's gonna change. Yeah, I think so. I too. I'm convinced yeah, of that. That's antiquated stuff, anyway. So it's
0: super antiquated. You know? And I think, like, I I have seen like people talk about too, because like Mexicans, all the different Latino um, groups have. Such a mix of skin color and hair color and eye color, because we we do have people who identify as Afro Latino, and then you do have <clears throat> Latinos that are white, blonde, blue eyed, and you know, yeah. and everything in between, and so like just the whole like race we know is a social construct, and the whole thing is really because I had this conversation with my students actually this year. I I I do this multicultural me assignment with them and one of the things I make sure to do, you reminded me earlier, is I tell them the difference between a nationality, a race and an ethnicity. Mm -hmm. And like we talk about like race really is just based on how you look. Like it's really like this very feeble label that like,
2: Mm -hmm. you
0: know, and and then it was interesting because one student, I have this, I have one student who's very, ahead of the game and he was like because we were talking he's like, well, what about asians well, because indians are considered asian but they don't necessarily look like east asians and i go and south asians don't look like east asian right he was like my husband's filipino he, technically he's asian but he doesn't look like a korean nope. but you know and it's like and i go that's why generally race is under scrutiny right now mm-hmm. as a thing because it changes and like it just it changes based on whatever the dominant group decides, which right now and has been for a while is white people. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And we actually were just talking yeah. about this recently because of another discussion I have going on outside of the podcast. But it was um, where uh, the book White Fragility talks about how Italians were able to assimilate. Like initially they were mistreated and discriminated against mm-hmm. when they were immigrating into the United States. But then over time, it was decided, you're European, you look white, you're white. And now they're considered right. white. And they don't um, they don't live under the same kind of discrimination they once lived under, nor right. do they get discriminated against, against the way black people do or people with more yeah. melanin in them. And basically, the decision has been how much melanin is in your skin is going to determine mm-hmm. what your race is.
2: And-
1: I agree with you. And it's, that's such a hard conversation to have because... We we just have these constructs in our head. We're born with them. Yeah. Like we're gonna we're gonna try to put you into these boxes as soon as you're born, and and if you're if you don't educate yourself or or at least put yourself in a position to be able to even be asked these questions and respond to these questions, then you're never gonna think about it. Right. was well, like, um, the,
2: yeah.
3: The human mind is just so, it's so like, it's so powerful, and uh, and at the same time, it's so weak you know because Mm -hmm. we we have these abilities to develop these really complex constructs and concepts but then when it comes to um making an analysis of something like for the purpose of like just a quick assessment Mm -hmm. it jumps to these types of classifications and it's kind of a it's just the way we are able to survive on a day-to-day basis like okay that's good that's bad that's that's yeah. hot. That's cold. You know, these very broad strokes are used and it's not it's not effective when you need to do like actual work and think. But in terms of like getting just surviving, it's very effective. So we're at we're at constant odds with our own right. minds when we have to do this kind of stuff. But I think it's just so funny because yeah, and I
1: think we're tribal. Yeah,
3: yeah. exactly. We you have know? we have it humans in our humans are naturally
1: our, tribal. Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah,
3: it's in our nature for sure.
1: Well, you know, it's funny because you mentioned Italians. I've had this conversation with my, my, um, Tiaz before and, and my mom's, uh, sister. And she said, you know, when in, in her day and age, she was born in, in like the early six, like late fifties. You know, she said in her day, Italians were really discriminated against and, mm-hmm. and they weren't considered white because I said something about how Italians are white. And she said, you know, in my age, in my day, Italians weren't white. And I told her, I said, but it, they assimilated within a generation or two pretty quickly. You know what I mean? A couple of generations. Um, And then I also was, I also had this conversation about how when you come from overseas and you're European or you can at least like appear to be white, pass for being white. Mm -hmm. um, You, you can blend in pretty quickly. Um, It's, it's when your country is on the other side of a border that is just, you know, a couple of miles away that, it's in your face a lot, you know, and, and you can't necessarily escape it as well as somebody who could uh, be white passing or blending in right. a- as much. So it's more in your face. It's a little bit harder to separate yourself from that, I think, um, than than it is for people who are overseas. But then, again, you get people who are Asian who can't escape that. You get people who are from Africa who can't escape that. Right. Um, it, it really, I really do think, you know, being able to be passing as white has a lot to do with it.
3: You know, it's really interesting, too, about this. Okay, so um i just looked this up real quick but did you know that the oldest uh university in asia is actually in the philippines and it is a catholic university
1: i did not know that that doesn't surprise me
3: founded in 1611 (laughs) university of santo tomas wow this is exact this is so to me like the like the perfect example of like what a filipino is it's just like what the hell i don't understand like <laughs> because you look at a filipino and you're like maybe they speak tagalog maybe they yeah. have a british accent maybe like
1: <laughs> i have no and idea why it, and why is their last name flores yeah <laughs> For real, it's, like, Flores, Santos, and there's, like, one other one that I'm just, like, every Gomez. Filipino has it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, there's some Gonzaleses, too. There's oh, some yeah. oh, yeah. Filipino. And I'm just, like, come on, man. You can't be a Gonzalez. Like, you're, that's too Mexican, you
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's, and that kind of goes back to, though, like, we again something else that especially Mexicans share with Filipinos is we don't know what the heck our label is <laughs> like. We're like, yeah. like, what are we? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like, we should just like go under the same label like let's just make one up for ourselves
1: yeah. <laughs> i love it i love how most of this conversation has been about mexican and filipinos honestly yes. i never thought i would have talked this much about it and i love it i think it's great dude. yeah i, yeah, I
3: definitely didn't see this going in this direction <laughs> but it happens to be one of my favorite topics because my children are literally mexican, mexican filipinos, filipinos. Yeah, we, we
0: talk about this all the time <laughs> like no lie for dinner
3: i brought home yeah today i brought home Punsit. And then I cooked enchiladas.
0: And then our oh, son... And my son
3: made a pancit beef taco.
0: Yeah, he didn't want the enchilada. He wa- But he wanted pancit and he wanted a tortilla. Uh-huh. So we gave uh-huh. him some and then there was leftover meat and beans and he goes, oh, I want that too. So he, his little tortilla had half the meat and beans from the enchiladas and then the other half had pancit and he closed it and he ate it. And we're like... Hey, that's
1: brilliant, dude. That's, he might be <laughs> on to something. No, <laughs> hey, it wait, was wait, not appetizing. It did not look appetizing.
2: <laughs> I mean, he before ate I it. Forget, he ate before
1: it. I forget, um, there's this place in, they have one in Tracy, but there's also one in downtown Stockton. Herbs. Um, oh exactly. So he, he went to school with my dad. Herb went to school with my dad cool. and, and, and frankly, Wait, wait, you know
3: um, Papa Herb? Like the real Papa Herb?
1: Yeah, yeah, man. It was funny because we were the oh it, a few years ago we were standing in line in Tracy. We were on our way to the bay <laughs> to a Giants game. And uh we were standing in line at their, their place that's right there in Tracy by In N Out. Yeah. And um I've been there. This, the, he, the, this guy comes out and he, he talks to my dad and he was like, Hey, did you go to did you go to Franklin? And my dad was like, hey, what's going on? And they gave each other a hug. And it was his spot. It's, it's Papa Herb. Oh, wow. my God. So my dad went to school with the I'm dude. There's definitely name-dropping you. Man, <laughs> their seed fries, oh, they're so good. Yes. Oh, yeah. They're uh, like Their version of the asada fries, they're so good. So good.
0: Mm-hmm. Shout out Papa, Papa Herb. Yeah, they're good. Yeah, they're, if it, you haven't been there yet and you live in Stockton or Tracy
3: downtown Stockton it's it's just a walk around the block yeah you know Little Manila used to be close by there too Little Manila Society um shout out Dylan Delva, uh holding it down over there they're now they just in recently South Stockton oh yeah,
0: yeah. they moved to South Stockton so actually I, I'm friends with the um the director of education at the San Joaquin Historical Society and he, they were fighting to try to save one of the buildings because you know they have the, the buildings they try to maintain like yeah. the three buildings that are left as historical landmarks, yeah. and I guess um, the historical society along with the Little Manila Rising they were trying to save a building that was going to get sold and they didn't save it and the city's That's... the city's going to sell it, so it's like wow. uh, like I just Come hate on. I hate how Little Manila in Stockton is not recognize and i've always argued this for years you know stockton is trying real hard to bring in more businesses and boost the economy and there's Mm -hmm. this prime tourism opportunity with things like little manila and the the lock chinatown area that's just down the street and like all these places if you there's tourism opportunity there like it's just, if you, but it has to be the community that it belongs to should be the ones who identify because yes, very quick, that could very easily turn into a gentrification issue, but man, <laughs> you know, like there could be some really great, I thought about
1: that That would be really cool. Yeah, um, my wife's from that area. She, she grew up in South Stockton. She went to Edison. Shout out Edison. Um, yeah, little, shout out little e- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she goes in and we were just talking about, um, Actually, we were when we were making dinner earlier. We were listening to one of your guys' shows. We were talking about uh, ethnic studies yeah. and how two of the people that she actually went to school with at Edison are back there and they're teaching and they're teaching ethnic studies courses and they've been nice. like champions for ethnic studies courses. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure what the guys' names are. I know we probably run in the same circles, but they seem like pretty cool dudes that are doing some doing some, tell some her cool her, stuff. Tell her
3: to um, you know pass the word and get us a recommendation so we can uh, interview them.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, actually, I know, um, I know, I taught with somebody who is from there uh, and, and did some work with, uh, what is it, it's not, is it Manila Rising? Yeah, Little Man- Manila Rising, you're right. Yeah. 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 I think she, she did some work with them, if I'm not mistaken. Um, also, uh, do you know who Lang is? Do you know Lang Yes, Lung-tow? we
0: emailed him, yeah. Lang, you need to Shout email me Lang. back. I know, Lang, email me back. <laughs> I emailed him. He actually we <laughs> he, we actually we we connected on Twitter and then uh, we took it to email and he's supposed to respond. He was, yeah, we want him on the show.
1: <laughs> yeah. he's, a cool he's a cool dude. I know he's worked in Little Manila w- with the organizations before and stuff too. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. He's a, we 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 are fans of Lang. Like, we've actually both met him in separate occasions and he doesn't remember us. But he's also a super busy dude, so we don't blame that he's on you, Lang. Uh, he's but, met yeah.
1: millions of people. He's got a full <laughs> with them. Um, you know, with the Stockton City Councilor, yeah. the Stockton okay. School Board, and all that the stuff. School board. So. And I
0: think he still teaches too, right? Is he still teaching?
1: I don't think so. Oh, I'm okay. not sure.
0: Well, either way, he's a really busy guy, but yeah. Uh, um, we are, we, we're, we're trying to get him on the show too. Yeah.
3: Cool. Dude, we,
1: we just went on a, 90, on a roller coaster there.
0: 90
2: minute roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, 90
1: yeah. minutes. That was really yeah. cool. Um, hopefully, we got to talk about everything you guys wanted to talk about. Um, this is a great conversation, though.
0: Yeah.
3: I it enjoyed really, it. And it I, mean, really... I, I am grateful and I'm proud uh, to cool. <laughs> have had this conversation. And if people didn't yeah. catch,
0: Daniel is a teacher. He's a history teacher. He's just not in the classroom right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I, we just jumped into it. I didn't even talk about that. But yeah, I'm a credentialed history teacher, I taught for almost a decade um you know taking a break for a little while and he's now socially challenged education. on uh spotify holler at him <laughs> yeah, yeah. socially challenged we got a little facebook thing going on twitter all that kind of stuff and you can find it on spotify so we'll... he's a beautiful human if being if we can't Thanks, brother i appreciate that do you gotcha. have
0: do you have like any social media for your podcast or a website or anything right now or
2: just yeah
1: just um we're just running some stuff on facebook and twitter it's just called socially challenged okay so... um and on twitter it's socially challenged pod um and that's it we're on spotify or trying to get all the stuff worked around to you know have it operating smooth like you guys have on all platforms and you know we're just we're just trying to do something and you know we're not trying to to you know uh make it the the next big media company or anything we just want to have a conversation and you know get some people to listen so people listen
0: We'll we'll link some of your um, those socials on our website, too, so people can.
3: Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll send you all that info. I'll yeah. text it to you. I think it's a brilliant idea. I think it's a like one of the most important messages we have right now. We need unity. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate and respect what you're doing out there.
1: So. For sure. Thanks, man. Thanks. Uh, yeah. I'd love to have you guys maybe even, you know, drop in on an episode and we
2: can do a segment together hey, or something. Hey, That's Cool. I love it. All, all right, right. We're done. Cool. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for listening to Educators Not Robots. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you like our podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you access your podcasts on and leave us a review. Whenever we get reviews, it helps boost visibility for our and so we can draw in more listeners. Thanks again for your support and we hope that you listen again soon.